Welcome back, podcast listeners. We're here with episode 156, and again, we have an amazing guest joining us today. Um, I'm not going to pass to Tony today as he's coughing away, but he did just tell us he'll jump in when excited. So as our listeners will know, and I've just said, he'll jump in a fair bit today. But I would like to introduce our guest, uh, Timmy Duggan. Timmy is the founder of Hoops for Health Australia and manager of the Mundine Mindset. He's a former professional basketballer who founded Hoops for Health in Australia, specialising in community engagement, youth and Indigenous facilitation, advocate for Indigenous health, and currently engaged to work with youth and youth services providers in Darwin and remote parts of Northern Territory, where he's got an amazing story. He's actually in a remote part, which is the first time I've heard about today. But Timmy, welcome to the podcast. And I guess, um, first of all, where are we actually coming in from over, over Teams? Yeah, look, uh, thanks for the introduction. I'm, I'm actually in a place called Groot Island, which is the home of the Anandiliakwa people. Um, it's just east of, of um, Arnhem Land, so in the Gulf of Carpentaria. Um, it's a big island uh, right there, probably about an hour by plane east of Darwin as well. Yep. So doing some leadership, leadership training over here at the moment. And I found it interesting. Now, can you spell it for us as well? Because I was trying to look it up on the internet as you were talking, and it's Ireland is spelled completely different. Yeah, Groot, G-R-O-O-T-E. And then Ireland is not your traditional way of spelling Ireland. It's E-Y-L-A-N-D-T. So I think the Dutch came past here, and, and, it, and what it's known as is a big island. That's, that's, the, that's the name of it in Dutch, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Quite interesting. But look... Where I wanted to dive in today, and we're touching on, we've got a, a lot of great stories to get through today, but um, for the listeners, I'd love you to give a little bit of background on, on your childhood, um, and I guess where your passion came for, you know, basketball, because obviously that set up a lot of things that you're doing um, outside, it, it grows into leadership, but could you give us a bit of background on, on your childhood and growing up? Yeah, look, I grew up in AFL Mad Darwin on Larrakia country, following watching my dad play Aussie Rules um, in Darwin. Uh, it wasn't until I was uh, 12, 11 or 12 where there was an assistant coach of the Sydney Kings who was also the director of coaching for basketball in the Northern Territory back in the uh, 87, 88. And he saw me play, you know, as a, as a young kid, and he stayed in touch by then by snail mail and by the phone, right? Um, stayed in touch for about four or five years with the plan to get me to Sydney because he said, if, you know, if you're going to make it in basketball, you've got, to, you've got to leave home. And I was kind of a bit of a trailblazer in that respect because, you know, not a lot of people had moved from Darwin. Some of them had done it for AFL but not for basketball. So off I went uh, at the start of 93 to Sydney where I got a basketball scholarship through the help of Steve McGugan, who was the assistant coach of the Sydney Kings. And um, I represented New South Wales for four times. Um, and then... In 1996, I became the first person from the Northern Territory uh, to ever play in the National Basketball League. Now, now um, that, was at about, that was at about the age of 19, am I correct? Yeah, yeah, I think I was 19, yeah, yep. at the time. And um, look, I, it was a tough journey. Like, when I look at my journey, it's like this, like a wave, you know. Yep. You make a team, you get cut by a team. You make a team, you get cut by a team. So it was no easy road, so to speak. But also within doing that, I um I also become when I looked at the we're looking at the number of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander players that have played in the National Basketball League since its inception 40 years ago, and I was there's only been about 18 or 19. 
Yeah. But in the decade of the 90s, when basketball was booming in Australia, I was the only Indigenous player in the whole decade to play in the National Basketball League. So, look, I didn't play many games, but I had a crack and um, had a go, you know. <laughs> I think I think the beautiful thing is you've pioneered people like Paddy Mills and Nathan Jawai to, to, to dream and to come to the league. Well, what happened, I, I think, you know, as the 2000s approach, you started to see um, there's another guy named Paul Vandenberg, obviously with Danny Moore so before me, then Paul Vandenberg, who's now, he's like the head of the AFL Indigenous um, Diversity Programme. Yep. And he played with the Cannons. And then you started to see a bit more come on to the mid-2000s. And now we've got a, we've got a few more um, players. But, yeah, yeah, it set a bit of a, a – a tra- blazed a bit of a trail there and um, got into a bit of coaching after that. But I, but I had a bit of a journey. You know, Gold Coast and they folded. Remember the Gold, Gold Coast Rollers in 96? They folded. I went back home and then I was, I, I was – I played in the last team of the Gold Coast Rollers in the first – Cairns Taipans team in 99. Mm. Yeah, and, and it's good to see Cairns has been um, held around for a while because the NBL in itself has gone through its ups and downs, which it, it's now looking quite strong. Yeah, basketball, you know, now has gone back to like it was in the late 80s and early 90s, and um, it's, it's booming at the moment. But Cairns, yeah, Cairns has been strong. You know, those regional towns um, that have kind of held their own, and Cairns has been one of the longest-standing NBL teams. You know, you see... Teams come and go, but now we've got Hobart back in the league and um, the talk about bringing Canberra back. But, um, yeah, I was unfortunate. I was there when the Gold Coast rollers folded, so I went back home and kind of reassessed things. But while I was playing basketball, I always had this conscious in me an obligation to give back to my community. Um, through my own personal um, observations and family, you know, health issues and all that, um, and that's where I always had this mindset to start some type of community program using basketball. And that's where I came up with the idea for Hoops for Health. So, so with that thought pattern, um, I, I guess it's coming from you know, the background that you had. Hoops for Health, when it, now it's in its 20 years um, since its inception, is that correct? Yep. February, I think February 6, 2002, we actually launched it. Pretty good with my dates. Yeah. So well, it's, <laughs> it isn't five months or whatever it is. <laughs> can you remember the foundation of when that thought, you obviously always had that thought in you, but can you, can you remember sort of when that foundation happened? Yeah, it was a process from 1995, I say, to 2002. And I actually used to sit down with Anthony Mundine and one of his other cousins when I was in Sydney. And we used to talk because we were sitting in Redfern and I was doing a traineeship at the Aboriginal Medical Service um, while I was playing basketball. So we used to talk about the issues but not just talk about the issues, talk about possible solutions around it as well and just kind of dream and talk and go, what if and, you know, if this happened and, and, and this type of stuff. So I kind of always had that the, the mindset to give back but also to, to have this um, catalyst to, to incorporate some type of change um, in there. And this was back when we were only 17, 18, 19 years old, still playing our sports. So I used to sit down, I had this idea. So over time, I, I just wrote it on paper, I documented it, and I, I combined my Indigenous health background and my basketball knowledge to come up with the concept, which we launched in 2002. So there was a, it was a bit of a process. And looking at all these reports, like um, the Aboriginal deaths in custody, which was launched in 1988, 
the Bringing Them Home Report 1997, which is based on the stolen generation, um, Little Children Are Sacred, which was the mid-2000s. So there was the Royal Commissions, there's been a few of them, the most recent one in the youth detention. But I used to look at these reports and go, man, there's so many recommendations, but what's actually happening? So we are about action. Um, and kind of funny, I, I spoke about this the other night at our 20th, and when we launched our own impact report, and I had a bit of a laugh, here's another report. But our report is not based on recommendations, it's based on our volume of um, work and, and the science behind it all and what we've done rather than giving recommendations on it. Mm. Timmy, can I ask a question there? The, a lot of... Um a lot of elite Aboriginal uh, sports people uh, do tend to give back. Uh, what I found, I mean, we'll, we'll touch on, you know, Anthony Mundine in a moment and the, wor the work you've done with Anthony and him being a patron as well, our ambassador for Hoops for Health. And, and you know, you see it with the Rioli family, with uh, AFL and things like that as well. And, of course, just after the Olympics, I mean, Paddy Mills just, what, what, an, what an amazing, you know, not just Olympic Games he had for himself, but for basketball, for uh, for Australia in general. And he's just the most, seems to be, I've never met him, but the most, seems to be the most genuinely beautiful guy who does give back. And of course, after the Olympics, went back uh, home and made sure that he gave back. And I think it actually brought, because he had such a great Olympics and he was such a magnificent leader, he, it seemed to bring a lot of prominence. The press started following him and what he was doing when he gave back as well. So is that something that you find is inbuilt in your community when you do have that success that you do go back and help family? Look, the key word for us, and in particular um, with myself and, and Anthony and, and, and Patrick will have it in him too, was the, the key word is obligation. We feel obligated um, and it's within us because of seeing the issues that we grow up and, and, and have grown up with. So, you know, using the profile that we might have within our sport um, as a catalyst for change um, can do that. So a lot of people leave home, you said the Riolis, um, and then when they go back, they feel like, well, I've got a bit of a, um, you know, I might have learned something while I'm away through, through my sporting career that I can actually pass on to others as well, or whatever career you're, you're in. But I think the key word there is the obligation and the drive within us from the issues that we've seen growing up to be able to to do that. You know, it's all, we, we, we really, and I can't speak on behalf of everyone, but on behalf of us, we just keep it genuine, keep it real. Look, the big thing is um, we've seen organisations uh, come and go in, in the 20 years. When there's been funding, they're there. When the funding goes, you don't see them. And then... We've just been there with or without funding because of we feel obligated. And we've got that uh, community mindset to be able to do this. And I think it's from our upbringing, you know, talk about Anthony's dad, I know my dad, and and a lot of the history where our mob, you know, it's been a human rights issue. We've both got, you know, I know my grandmother's a member of the Stolen Generation, so in my generation, in my time. So there's, I think it's a combination of different issues that you feel like you're obliged and it's within you to do something. Mm. And I think too, sorry, sorry uh, Jamie, just before you go on, and we will touch on this, I think, and we will touch into the amazing work that you do, 
But when you break the cycle, when you when you give a kid an opportunity to break the cycle, have that have that champion mindset that you'll talk about and actually do good with life, breaking that cycle actually can end up helping 10 generations. And I know that from my own parents' upbringing and what the the not not very good upbringing that they had and they came here with nothing they 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 made sure myself and my sister were educated and they broke the cycle they broke the cycle of abuse they broke the cycle of poverty and we had we had a chance and an opportunity in life as a result of that and that's one of the things that i see what you do and what others that we just spoke about do but also you spoke about the obligation I think it actually, for what you've done, it goes beyond that because it actually empowers young people who might have thought there was no other opportunity or way until someone like you comes along, plays for cans and gives a kid a pair of runners, which I'm going to get you to touch on if that's okay, and how that kid came back to you and said, I, this is what you did for me. That's it. And what we say within our programs, that program might be an hour or two, but that might be that only positive experience for that person in that week. So we need to make sure as coaches, mentors, um, that we give it, you know, the best the, the best professional service in that time as well, because it might be their only opportunity. But we say, we guarantee these kids, they remember. You remember who inspired you. There's always someone that inspired you um, on your journey um, that believed in you. That, that put that belief in you and you'll go back and you'll look back in 20 years and go, yep, I know who that person was. And you'll say thanks. So, um, but Timmy, we do know a story that that did happen to you recently where uh, somebody did come up to you and said that when you were playing at Cairns, you actually gave this kid a pair of runners and, and he never forgot that and he reminded you of it and, you know, as a result. So he obviously never forgot that generosity that you showed uh, some kid back many years ago. That's it. And this, this kid was tied up in the um, in the justice system uh, 20 years ago, and then we happened to be in a rehabilitation facility 20 years down the line in Darwin, and he said, Timmy, you gave me a pair of shoes, um, you know, when you, we did the Hoops for Health back in Cairns. So it, had a, it, it has an impact and what we call unintended impacts um, that, you know, we're not aiming to do, but these things just, just come out of the program, these little gems and, and diamonds and and impacts that, that stay in people's brains and minds. Jimmy, can you tell us about the journey of Hoops for Health um, from its original foundation and to where the, the team is at now? Yeah, look, it's been, a, it's been a tough one, to be honest, but it's been a fun one. We started it in Cairns when I was playing professionally, and um, it started as a program. So very simple, on, on um, overhead projector slides, I made them up because this is just with the transition into PowerPoint. And then about six months in, my dad said, there's this thing called PowerPoint. Get rid of those slides and start start putting them on there. So anyway, um, kicked it off in Cairns as a program. Um, and then about six years in, I came back home to Darwin and uh, we started as a, as a full fully-fledged business, um, running it as a challenge, what we call a challenge. So we're bringing different um, athletes up from all around Australia to promote a particular issue, both in Darwin and Alice Springs, we did it, and also in a place called Manangrida um, in, in, in Arnhem Land. And then um, as it grew, um, we had an opportunity. We put up our hand, I suppose, in 2016 when this controversy came out about the Dondale. It was on four corners. It was all over the news. 
about the treatment of the young kids in there. So as an Aboriginal organisation based in Darwin, working with youth and health, I, I put up our hand on behalf of us and said, give us a chance. Let us go in there. Let us give us the keys. Let us in. And we've been in there ever since, since 2016, done over 500 sessions in the youth detention centre. And, um, and our program has just kind of evolved where it's not just about young people as well. We're working with adults. Look, our target group are our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids, but it's for it works for everyone. Um, a lot of remote work. We, we, we're unique. We get out to remote areas. We took Lira Logans. You know Lira Logans is. We took him out to a place called Kirikara in, in, on the Western Australian border. And it's the most, according to Wikipedia, it's the most remote community in the Southern Hemisphere. There's, you know, 10 people, one car, two dogs, one pig. <laughs> anyway, it's it, it's remote. So I've been out to places like this, taking the program. And, and um, look, we have, it's been a struggle because people that think that we are just a basketball program, there's much more um, science behind it, evidence. And and um, we, we do call it a social and emotional well-being program, lifestyle program, more so than just a basketball program. There'll be times where we go into Dondale and we don't even take the basketball. It's all about the relationships that we have with our young people and our staff to create what we call cultural safety um, within our program. So, look, we're, we're going all right. 20 years, we've kept it like a wave. It's, it's Some days are, days are good and some days we've got to find out where, we, where we're going to get our next breakfast, but um, we keep going. <laughs> and also, since 2020, you've been um, the manager of the Mundine Mindset of a Champ. Do you also want to touch on that and the work that you're doing with that? Yep. So, so obviously, Anthony, uh, known Anthony for nearly 30 years, he's actually a pretty good basketballer. And uh, towards the end of his career, a few years ago, we were coaching a team in Cairns, and he said, come on, Let's start this program. Let's let's get out to the communities. I want to give back. I want to the stuff we we're talking about earlier, and um, let's let's get on the road and and get it out there. We got on the road. We get ready to go. Then COVID struck struck, so it kind of put a um, put a bit of a pause on it. But we were able to do it on a few webinars, and imagine the impact of the three-time world champion going out to these remote places. And you talk about Groot Island. He's coming here in two weeks. For the first time um, and the impact that it has so we started this, this program it's based and mirrored on his life and the decisions that he made and the barriers that he came up with to achieve what he had to achieve um, so we delve into a few what we call leadership concepts yep yeah it's three three kind of broken into three parts leadership self-care and mindset I, I, I will, we're laughing before I, I sort of raised before that um, a lot of the media attention that Mundine gets is, is around when he's got a fight on. And we know what two boxers talking to each other, promoting their fight is like. And I think Cambosis has just fought uh, recently and, and, you know, some of the shades that they throw at each other. So there's sort of one personality the media can portray. Um, but then you're talking about the work that he does in the community. And you raised a point before when Anthony's father, Anthony and his father um, were down at King's Cross. Do you, do you want to tell the listeners that story? Yeah, this is, this is an excerpt out of the Mindset program. And he, when Anthony was, was 9, 10 years old, 
his dad used to take him down to King's Cross in Sydney and just just have a bit of an observation, you know, on what's happening down there. So obviously we've got, you know, drug dealers and, and, and you name it, sex, drugs, rock and roll, right? Yeah. But what they used to do, they didn't just used to point out the window and go, look, there it is. His dad used to, and, and young Anthony used to get out of the car, sit down, shout everyone a coffee. I'm talking about the homeless people that are sitting on the side of the street and have conversations about how did you get here? What was your journey? So what we say now is in the program, those homeless people in King's Cross taught young Anthony a life lesson that he uses for the rest of his life in the mindset program, which is he doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, doesn't do drugs, which a lot of the media don't, don't know these types of things. Um, from those life lessons of driving down and getting out of the car and having conversations with homeless people in King's Cross. Amazing. Uh, Anthony, Anthony, I do know the story that he is one of the cleanest living guys that you could ever come across. Uh, and, you know, and to be, to be and we mentioned earlier, and we, we had a bit of a joke about it, I don't think there's any sport that he would take up that he wasn't going to be great at. Uh, he's just he's naturally talent. But what a lot of people who, I say, Jamie's age and things like that might know that his father, Tony, was a, you know, a world-renowned boxer in his own right um as well and a, a great disciplined sportsman too so great great upbringing from obviously a great role model and uh, because they are still very close i believe too it's still training i know he was training yesterday yep. um his dad you know his dad was training anthony yep. was training he was retired so yeah like um you know just getting up and, and living healthy living clean we don't we don't like i said we don't preach perfections in these programs mm. uh, because you know we we all we're human beings, but um, but we we have a crack. You know you got to for him to achieve what he had to achieve, he had to um, he had to give up a not give up a few things, but be pretty disciplined oh, on absolutely. that journey. Yeah. I, I'll give you I'll give you an example. We got to to Darwin in 1995 as teenagers. We drove from Sydney to Darwin. Yep. And uh, when we got there, it was Christmas Eve. And then the next morning, I could hear this huffing and puffing, Christmas morning. And I walked outside, and, and here's Anthony. He's doing push-ups on Christmas morning, 19 years old. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, oh, I'm going to be champion of the world. I said, I couldn't fathom it because he's playing rugby league at the time. And then you look five years after that, he became – he turned to boxing, and then another three years after that, he became world super middle, middleweight champion. So, yeah. But Timmy, I, I think though he he obviously had a great role model in his father Tony as well, and Tony certainly you know put him on the right track. And then it's still up to the individual to go on that track. And I see that's one thing that what you guys do in uh, you know in the leadership program and also in Hoops for Health is you're helping kids, giving them a choice of it's still up to that kid to go down that that road that is right for them. But you're given you're you're shining a light on it. You're giving them the opportunity, and you're helping change their mindset. Can, would you like to talk a bit about that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like he's he's got his dad. I had my dad as well. You know, we're we're lucky. You know, we got our fathers there to to guide us. Um, in terms of of the actual mindset and and making these decisions, it's it's the little what we call our brain changes, and. Um, you know, a lot of our work now is based on the mind. And our model of Hoops for Health is 
Um, can you get the heart rate up, speed it up, so we get a bit of resilience going and strength endurance? But can we slow the mind down while you're doing that to make good decisions? So slowing the brain down but speeding the heart up is, is one of our cues um, within the program. The, the other thing with our mindset is when the, when the kids come in, a lot of our kids that we work with come from um, highly stressful environments. Um, there's a bit of trauma involved in their life and a bit of chaos. So when they come to our program, one of the first things we get them to do for 30 seconds is to stop, slow down, take a breath. And we call this our mental imagery stuff, which the science shows. It's only, it's only 30 seconds to a minute, but we're putting you in a safe place to just breathe and calm down. And you watch it, just slow down. Then we'll get into getting the heart rate up. And then at the end of the session, we bring everyone together. So I'm talking about the science and the model that just the evidence that we use. But then at the end, we use 60,000 years of knowledge, which our mob have been using is just sitting in a circle at the end of the session and reflecting on what actually we just did. What did you learn? How do you feel? And that's based on just sitting in a circle, what we call our calmness circle, and the ability to reflect on what happened while you're still tired. So there's three three components to our model there, but that's where we're trying to get these little brain changes happening. And they go, oh, I might come back next week. I might, you know, when I go to do this, well, I might stop and think about what I'm going to do. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really that. It sounds simple, but it's all based on relationships. A lot of our staff are Aboriginal staff, so the, the kids have a connection uh, to them. Um, not And... We're not all Aboriginal staff, but um, that creates our kind of cultural safety within our programs. Hmm. Timmy, you spoke about um, you got an impact report done by Flinders University last year of the impact that you've had on society um, over the last 20 years. Can Because teaching kids is one thing. It's still up to the kids to do it. But you know it, to, to go down that path, to make those right decisions, to calm themselves down, I mean, for me, it was learning deep meditation 12 years ago and, and our mutual friend, Kate Thomas, the two of us went and did a, uh, a weekend breath work, learning to breathe uh, course together. You know, so it's, you know, so I understand it was exactly where you're coming from. And my father, you know, uh, later on in life, I asked, why did you have me involved in every sport? And he said, because you're too tired to get up to mischief at night. Uh, so he, he basically had me involved in so many sports as a result. Uh, I didn't think I was getting up to that much mischief, but he made sure I wasn't. Uh, but I think, though, what you're talking about, it's actually what impact have you had on society in general over the last 20 years that you can share with us that came out of that Flinders University report? Yeah, look, look, the big thing, one of the big things for us is um, is that work we do with the kids in, in youth detention, right? And um, our, our, if I can talk about the impact there is when we see them, right, on the street, they, they, they get out. Look, I'll share with you, some of them, some of those kids, you know, come from homes where there's, there's fifth, you know, up to 15 people living in a two-bedroom house. Okay, so of course I'm going to get out at night and, and have a look around and, and that, do that stuff. But the impact, um, if, if I can look at the impact that it's had over 20 years is these unintended ones where people come up off the street. There's been so many over the, the years and goes, you know, when you came in that school and told us about the cigarette, we don't smoke now. Okay? And, it's, and it's those little ones like that. We don't, we don't do that because 
we remember when you came into the school or we remember when we came into the detention centre. A few of these, the, the, the biggest, I'll tell you what, I'm kind of going back and forth, but one of the biggest impacts was a young kid that we had at our launch who was 14 or 15 at the time back in 2002 is working for us now. So he's become from a participant of the program to now becoming a worker for us. To, to us, that's that's what it's about. You know, he's, he's kind of done the program, been through a few ups and downs, but at the end of the day, a lot of these, these young kids, you know, want some type of purpose and he's he's got a bit of purpose now and he comes with us all over Australia. Um, yeah, and he's also played high-level basketball um, along that journey. But I think that for us, that was a big impact, participants becoming workers of our program. Mm. Yeah. I actually think that impact is absolutely sensational. And, you know, there is that social impact that we – that you do have on society when you actually care and you actually genuinely do care. So I know for you, Timmy, it's not doing a job. It's something that you're passionate about. As you said, you might, you might've used the word obligation before, but I think it's more than, it's not obligation for you. I just think it's something that you're passionate about in helping, uh, in helping these young kids to know that there is still an opportunity for them as well. But it is interesting that, you know, traditional sports like AFL, which is very strong in the Aboriginal community, obviously, um, you know, you do get sports now like basketball. Like I think um, basketball was blamed uh, for the West Indies' demise in cricket because uh, the West Indies had some pretty tall bowlers, as we all know, and they all, yeah. all the kids are now playing basketball. Um, and, of course, we're, we're seeing it with the Sudanese community here in Melbourne now. You know, a lot of these young males who, from the day they're born, they're just born to play either AFL or basketball, just their their body compositions, you know, and, and you're actually seeing so many of them uh, now moving towards that basketball community because it seems to be extremely inclusive for everyone, which is something that, I, that I've noticed, not being a basketballer myself, but from witnessing it and going to and going to charity events down here in Melbourne with basketball, it seems to be the case. Yeah, definitely. You know, we all play it, people from different backgrounds. Uh, you can play it in both the both seasons or, you know, indoors and outdoors, uh, men and women, um, for people with disabilities as well. So, look, um, you know, we, we're lucky. We use it. We use it as a vehicle um, in our programs because there are a lot of analogies that we use within basketball that we, you know, that we kind of uh, mirror within our programs, the teamwork, the leadership, all, all that, all that stuff, um, coming up with effective communication as well, teamwork stuff. But yeah, we're, we're lucky. You know, we, we think we're really unique though, uh, where we're not, we're more than that, just that basketball program where we're, we're having that impact. Um, look, one of the things I, I would have loved to have done is some type of longitudinal study uh, to go alongside that, that report um, where you follow someone, like I mentioned, um, the young person, but on their health, um, you know, take up. If did they actually take up smoking when they came to a session? Did they take up drinking or or, or whatever it was, you know? So look, there's there's a lot of factors that we have to take into account before our programs. Um, we we now do some accreditation for coaches if they want to become coaches of Hoops for Health uh, to make sure that you know we're doing it the right way and and I keep going on that culturally safe way so we can develop these relationships. And um, that impact, but we can have. We're learning too, you know. We we make mistakes. 
But the big thing is we're able to reflect on those mistakes and, and grow from it and, and look at how we can, you know, veer this way or detour that way and, and make the programs better. Mm. Timmy, can I ask? Sorry, Jerry. No, you go, Tony. No, what I, I was just going to ask a question in respect to you're making such amazing positive impact for society, for the Aboriginal community, uh, for young kids who might not have thought there was any other way. Uh, but that comes at a financial cost as, as well. How do you guys survive, you know, from breakfast to breakfast sometimes? And, you know, so during those ups and downs and ebbs and flows and things like that, how do you survive? How do you uh, continue for 20 years now, uh, year in, year out, with your passion to be able to give back to society? How do you financially survive and run all this? This is this is the amazing thing about it. Now, tell you. It wasn't until mid-2021 where we put someone on for the first time as a full-time um, staff member of Hoops for Health. Other than that, it was like when we get a, we might get a funding grant and it dries up um, because of our resources that we had and probably our networking and lack of marketing um, to be able to generate that, you know, the, the next grant or the next source of income. Um, we had contract workers or volunteers. And that's how we've, we've survived the whole time. So we survive, I'll go back on it again, you know, you said it, the passion, the obligation, that's how we survive. And in that time, we've seen organisations come and go when they've got, you know, large amounts of funding and good on them. And I'm not here to knock anyone. What, what, I'm, what I am here to say is we're an Aboriginal organisation that's been going for 20 years um, having this amazing impact, we've got the backing of Flinders University with our impact report um, to say that if you gave us a chance on what we did so far on the limited resources, imagine if we we had resources to have a kind of place of healing, an Aboriginal lifestyle excellence place where these you know these young kids, all kids can come to. Imagine this: all Australians coming to an Aboriginal lifestyle excellence centre. Um, you know, how amazing would that be, run by Hoops for Health? And we'd like to these kids that have been in detention come working working for us because um, really, we've already got the relationships with us. To answer your question, that's how we survived, through volunteers, through people, um, community-minded people, um, and the passion to just keep it going and for the health and social and emotional well-being of our, of our people. So, yeah. Jimmy, um, what's next for Hoops for Health? Yeah, look, we, we've, we've, you know, since our, since we had our 20th anniversary dinner the other night and uh, stuff around people realising that this organisation has been around for 20 years, doing this stuff on a, on, I wouldn't even say a shoestring, whatever that's less than a shoestring, that's what we are. Anyway, um, there's been an outpouring of, um, of support, um, you know, verbally um, to support our program after last week. We've established some good partnerships as well and people wanting to come on board. One of them is the Post Centre for Indigenous Health with Flinders University, South Australia and Northern Territory to develop 500 health leaders um, over the next few years. So they'll use our vehicle uh, to, to promote that messaging, uh, to get more health leaders which in turn has a flow-on effect um, for the health of our, our people as well. 
that, that's a big one. Uh, we've got a lot of remote community visits coming up in the next month in what we call the Roper Golf Shire, um, out to a place called Gunbalanya. All these areas, remote areas of Australia, fun, northern Australia that we get to that um, we enjoy it, you know, because these kids, they, they don't have that access and to these services. So we're, we're giving it and um, we want to continue to do it. So that's what you'll, you'll see and hear of our programs in these remote places. And we will tell people about it as well. Yeah. Tony, anything else, for Tony? Sorry, to... I, was just, I, was, <laughs> I was coughing. Sorry. <laughs> so it's uh, no, Timmy. I, I think what you guys do is absolutely fantastic. Uh, I think the impact that you're making is, you know, generational. Uh, it, it will go down for more generations. You know saving one kid from you know uh, a life of crime or a life of negativity uh, is saving multiple generations and they can become you know other young kids mentors as well so you know i i we have to wholeheartedly uh congratulate you uh you know we'll reach out and reach out uh to be able to help out you know in any way we can too as you know i've been in contact with chris um as well uh who's who's been tremendous uh she's she's great at reaching out um on your behalf as well so realistically it's a, i i think it would be great to see hoops for health grow into that dream of everything you actually want now it's a you know and become that 20 year overnight success where people say wow look at these guys and how fantastic they've done but it's been 20 years of hard slog in the making of you know sometimes surviving on a day-to-day -day basis or with the one thing of helping kids and you, you know genuinely I couldn't be more proud of what you've done uh, you know getting to know you and the organization as well so um, I, I want to sincerely thank you for coming on and sharing the story we want to get the story of what uh, Hoops for Health and Timmy Duggan has done and Anthony uh as well so in respect to the leadership side but uh what you guys have done and we want to get that story out as much as possible for you as well and get you the help you so thoroughly deserve yeah thank thanks tony thanks jamie for for having me on the show um it's been a pleasure and um really appreciate the, the invite to tell our story and uh tell our unique journey of hoops for health and 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 the programs that, that we do across northern and remote australia absolutely thanks, Timmy. Coffin Bond Podcast is a product from Coffin Bond & Co, which we are an authorised representative of Gown Financial. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of the Coffin Bond Podcast are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decision, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from the podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Kofkin Bond website, or you can find resources on the ASIC website and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Kofkin Bond & Co. and the hosts of the Kofkin Bond podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of the country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respects to their elders past, present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.